Moncrief on News Talk. Remember the last time I brought you here? Sure. When I got my tattoos? Most received their markings in the main hall, but I wanted you to receive yours in the presence of Yang Chen, the last air nomad to be the avatar. When she died, the next avatar was born into the following nation in the eternal cycle. So after Yang Chen's death came Kuruk of the Water Tribes, then Kyoshi of the Earth Kingdom, and then Roku in the Fire Nation. Which means the next avatar will once again be an airbender. Her spirit echoes in one of us. Aang, you have always been special. The most talented airbender I have ever known. I never asked to be special. But you are. Aang, you are the Avatar. Right, that was Avatar, The Last Airbender. You can stream all of season one now on Netflix. James Dempsey is with us uh, once again. Afternoon, James. Uh, Afternoon. So uh, when it says, is this any connection to the movie The Last Airbender or the movie Avatar or <laughs> I'm confused? Okay. So it, uh, right. It is related not to the James Cameron blue People, thing. blue people, Avatar yeah. movie. They very wisely got a proprietary intellectual property of that term. Right. But in twenty in two thousand and five, a much beloved cartoon series called Avatar: The Last Airbender came out on Nickelodeon, and it was a cult hit at the time with adults. It was a hit with kids, but also with adults. And I'm not joking when I say it is probably one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I actually like recently bought a DVD box set in this century, this like well, this <laughs> this decade, just in case it ever disappears off yeah. streaming, so that I have a physical copy of it. And this is the second live action iteration of it after a much maligned, complete and utter flop 2010 movie. Uh, which was directed by M. Night Shyamalan, Shyamalan, which Mm. kind of almost like derailed his career for about a decade before he kind of managed to uh, scrape it back. (laughs) And now Netflix has turned it into a a live-action eight-episode, kind of eight-hour retelling of pretty much the first season of three seasons, although there are six because there's a follow, there's a sequel season, right? And it tells the story of the Avatar. His name is Aang. He's this 12-year-old boy. And uh, for unfortunately, for what a better word, he is a bender. Yeah. And what that means is he has the ability to bend the four elements. Okay. Right? So in this fictional world, there are four different nations. And within these nations, some people, not everyone, have this bending ability. They can control the uh, elements, some fire, some earth, some water. Very few, in fact, only one air. Because... To keep harmony between these uh, things, the spirits have declared that uh, a, a one person will be born with the power to control all four of them. And when that person dies, the next one in sequence will happen and so on, yeah. on forever. And we all live happily ever after until the Fire Nation attacks. So they are our bodies and they have raged a 100 year war, starting off with um, the genocide of the entire air nomad people. Right now, that's a very lofty thing to put into a cartoon on Nickelodeon. Yeah, twenty years ago, right? Downer. Yeah, right. And when I say the cartoon was somehow brilliantly able to juggle this kind of uh, world building, genocide storytelling, survivors' guilt, 
action sequences because the way the kind of the 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 elements are used is through kind of martial arts, right? Mm. And with the live action version, I'm going to say as a big big fan, I think it, it was a com- it's a competent, well made go at it. What for me doesn't quite work is kind of how they have married the cartoon visual style with this very gritty realism. Because, right, it opens, uh, like, look, not a spoiler, it opens with the Fire Nation attacking the air nomads, right? And I mean, it is showing you warts and all, flames galore, let's burn down these living people. (laughs) Okay, all right, (laughs) yeah. But then it marries that with these kind of, like, daft... Uh, cartoonish visuals in the costuming, in the uh, in some of the puns, which are uh, which are callbacks to the you know to the cartoon series. Mm. Now, I I don't kind of like I I totally recognize how difficult it is for Albert Kim, uh, the showrunner of this, to, to to kind of thread that needle, right? Because you have super fans like me who want to see him, you know, ticking off a list of various different things. Yeah while also managing to get it new and moving the story along. And what I liked about what they added new was they kind of, they flesh out some of the bits that get ignored in a cartoon for kids, right? As in, you have some pretty brutal action at, at times. What the what the animated show manages to do, and it is available to stream entirely on Netflix as well, it's it's a superior show, although I will say if anyone seeks it out, the first episode, the first three episodes are very infantile, but then it massively ramps up after that. And they're only 20 minutes long. That's where this came yeah, from. Then. Right, anyway, right, so anyway, anyway. Um, basically, what the, what the cartoon manages to do so spectacularly is it has this kind of sense of fun and whimsy while also tied to these very weighty themes. Mm. And what a car- what a kid's cartoon can't get away with is shock violence or shock murder. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's for kids. Mm. Despite the fact it's very, very much alluded to that, like, you know, genocide has happened in this cartoon. But they manage to go the whole distance of three seasons of about you know, 24 episodes to the most satisfying finale, like, I've ever seen in a season of TV show where where everything just comes together in this finally brilliantly conceived epic battle that is just so entertaining. Because when it comes to animation, the advantage they have is they can draw anything they want. Yes. <laughs> and also, you as a viewer have already suspended your disbelief of bad CGI mm. because it's a cartoon. So the whole thing is just made up. Yeah. Whereas here, we have Netflix throwing, I would say, a good hefty budget at this. And this, you know, what I will say, <laughs> the, the bending looks really good, right? As in, you have earthbenders lifting up rocks, shooting them like bullets. You have firebenders, you know, shooting flames out of mm. their <laughs> legs. You have waterbenders using, like, making whips out of the water, blah, blah. That all looks really, really good. What doesn't look great is the fact that they've built this entire fantastical world out of CGI. And in the background, you know, the the um, the sets, the world has that uncanny valley plastic look of yeah. a computer, like of a computer screen, right? So I can't say I found it perfect. I didn't. But I also didn't hate it, which easily could have happened. Yeah. Right? Because Netflix has adapted other very, very famous cartoons really unsuccessfully. Uh, the best example is Cowboy Bebop in yeah. uh, 2021, rather, which was this big, big Japanese manga series and uh, cancelled, I think, after, after about two days. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, One Piece, I, I think it was a hit, but I, I critically didn't like it. I don't think it was too much of a critical hit. Again, that was this weird mishmash of, like, I just don't know if, if you can bring these cartoonish elements into live action. 
Yes. Oh, right? Yeah. Like as in the visuals of cartoons work in the cartoon, but not necessarily in the, you know, yeah. live actor. Well, so far, for anyone who's listening, they probably want to go and watch the cartoon version <laughs> of this rather you than should. this. Uh, so like, did we need this? Is it, you know, is it worth all the effort they went to? Look, well, certainly what we did, what 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 is valuable here that wasn't in the 2010 movie is, right? Like, it, um, the creators of this, their names are uh, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko. They originally were attached to the live action version of this for a very long time. Like, they mm. announced this on Netflix, or I, I would say at least five years ago. And it has been a long, troubled shoot. Those two guys left completely the project a while ago and they have gone on to start and said a third kind of iteration of the story, like a third avatar. The second yeah. season follows the second avatar and we're, and it moves everything forward in time as well. And in that oh, kind of divorce, uh, fans were very, very, very worried because, one, you know, the uh, the movie is much maligned because it's completely, like, almost entirely uh, white-casted, despite the fact that this is, in complete, you know, completely and utterly inspired by Asian martial arts, yeah. Asian animation, Asian storytelling, <laughs> created by two white guys. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I guess what we do at least get here is an authentically Asian cast. And by Asian, I'm talking the gamut of the entire continent of Asia, East mm. and subcontinental, right? So certainly, I guess, if you're a brown-skinned viewer of Avatar, you probably did want to see this live-action version of it. And as this white-skinned viewer who is a huge fan of it, I think it is competent, well-made, has some good bits, and some bad bits. The acting is a little ropey, but the soccer is absolutely fantastic. And that's a reference to those who know. <laughs> okay, right. You just have to watch it to find out what that means. Uh, right, our next show is Constellation. New episodes every Wednesday on Apple TV+. Plus. Here's a clip. I miss you so much. I miss you too, Mama. Will you be careful when you go out there? Always. Let's go see how I can see it, eh? Wow. Look. There you are. You see? We're ready. All right. Good luck, son. Good luck, Commander. I've always been lucky till now. <laughs> hey, Alice. Wave to yourself. Dig in. Station RPL, you copy? Get them back. We're in the middle of something. Right, so it's called Constellation, James, but is most of the action actually set on Earth? Yes, um, yes and no. So the first, it, there's been three episodes so far, I think of, of eight, I'm not 100% sure. Um, and the first one or, and second one, a lot of it takes place on the International Space Station. Okay. Right? So it is about a an astronaut, a Swedish astronaut named jo- Johanna Eriksson, played by Numi Rapas. I uh, don't know how you actually pronounce that, but probably best known for her work in um, the Swedish versions of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, probably about, I don't know, 12 years ago at this point, which kind of launched her into the English-speaking world for a little while and then she's kind of receded and back with a bang with this. And it is a little bit like Gravity, the Sandra Bullock movie, meets Hijack, the... Um, the Idris Elba, Elba thing. Yeah. Not with hijacking, but in yeah. the sense of we are in this very 
dangerous space where anything could go, like literally, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and figuratively, the ISS, where in the opening episode and what we heard in the clip there is an accident. So yeah. Something has happened on the station and it, it, it results in Joanna being left alone on the station and oxygen is running out and then she begins to have these hallucinations and a psychological horror is unraveling at the same time as she is desperately trying to fix everything in order to get back on Earth. And I will say these kind of first two episodes, you actually, at the very, very beginning, you meet her on Earth. So you know that she's going to survive this, Mm. you know, accident. But the kind of two hour tension bit of her, like, you know, floating around the station is so visually clever and unbelievably tense that I was on the edge of my seat, right? Okay. And I loved it. Like, I thought, this is absolutely thrilling. And then she gets back to Earth and her psychological grasp of reality is sort of beginning to splinter and it is all revolving around her daughter and specifically a science experiment that was organised by Jonathan Banks, probably best known um, for his Breaking Bad roles. Uh, who Here he plays twin brothers as far as I can tell, uh, Henry and Bud Caldera, and he wants this science experiment back. Now, that bit I'm finding less successful, and since we have gotten back onto terra firma in the third episode, I'm less convinced of where this is going, Mm. if you get me. Yeah. Like, I get it's probably very difficult to stretch the tension across eight episodes in a space station, but you could just make three. (laughs) Yeah, but but it seems like there's almost like they've split the series in half in the sense it's two whole episodes to whatever traumatized on the space station and then the rest is dealing with that. Yeah, well, the timeline is split kind of throughout. So even in the first two, while a lot of the action is taking place on the space station, some of it is flash forward in time to Ah, to her back on Earth. Yeah. So sorry, I don't want to uh, misrepresent that either. But it is... Like, for me, I, I, the creator of this man named Peter Harness, he made McMafia, which was on the BBC oh, think, yeah, a couple yeah. of years ago. Uh, I, I, I think what he had is a really great movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure if this is going to... Like, I, I think that there might be diminishing returns uh, with the episodes. But what I will say that you get here is... Apple's deep pockets, right? Because, like, if you look at this visually compared to, you know, Avatar, mm. right? Like, and and not and like money was spent on Avatar, definitely, but like real money was spent on this, and it <laughs> looks polished and pristine and believable. And mm. like, listen, if you want calamity in space. Apple already has it sorted because there are four seasons, at least, I think, of For All Mankind. Right, yeah. My favourite soap opera, the most ridiculous yeah. thing I've I think that's seen. finished now. That's, that's Well, they flash forward again at the end of the third one. They do, yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah. So it's kind yeah. of left unsure. I think it's, it's left gonna... unsure. But yeah. I mean, that season, the most recent season, had a subplot involving kidnapping an asteroid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and like, if you want that kind of high tension space silliness, there's plenty on offer there. Right? Yeah. So look, this is a bit more... Uh, Constellation is a bit more about the psychological horror and Numi Rapas is very, very good in it. I just am a bit uh, hesitant about where it's going. Yeah, okay. Right, our third show is called Tell Them You Love Me. You can stream now on Sky Documentaries and Now TV. Here's a clip. There were different things like one day when we broke for lunch, I was cutting up his chicken and she rolled over to the table and said, what are you doing giving him meat? He's a vegetarian. I said, nobody sent me any friggin' memo. 
you're in a giving care frame of mind, you don't see the person you're supporting as somebody who's in a position to make their own decisions, who has their own ideas about how they want things done. You want to give them some control to develop into a person who has a good sense of themselves. Come on. So that part is a harder adjustment for parents or teachers who've been in a I'm taking care of you mode. Turn your feet, turn your body, now step off. Thank you. Right, so th this is this ostensibly about this woman who attacked this disabled man? It is. So this is a like quite a long documentary. It runs for about an hour and 40 minutes. And it is a really kind of intriguing, odd, clever and harrowing documentary uh, and completely a true story in which all of the people involved with the exception of one do their talking and tell their part and their stories are sort of equally believable but it, it the what i really admired about the documentary is until maybe the last 20 minutes it's very reserved it holds itself back until it kind of launches an attack and shows whose side it's on I feel okay. at the very end so it comes from a director named Nick August Perna and it's produced by Louis Theroux's production company and it tells the story of um, a woman named Professor Anna Stubblefield who was like a professor I think a, a professor of psychology at Rutgers University in New Jersey which look it's not Harvard but like it is up there it's one yeah, that I'd know yeah. the name of right so she had this very prestigious job and she was one day giving a lecture um, about disability rights and particularly this movement in disability rights and disability studies called facilitated communication, which is offered to people with intellectual disabilities who are nonverbal. And uh, I don't know enough about this yeah. to weigh in, except to say that it is a controversial methodology that has as many critics as it has champions, right? And essentially, my, my broad understanding of it is, is that particularly some people who might be nonverbal and have cerebral palsy, struggle to point to letters on a board. Yeah. So the facilitated communicator is someone who holds their arm and helps them to move towards pointing to what they are pointing towards, but in doing so also interprets the message that they are trying to send. Okay. And in the, so, so she was giving a lecture on this and this guy named uh, uh, John Johnson, <laughs> easy to remember, who was a PhD student of hers thought, this might work really well with my brother who um, had very severe cerebral palsy and intellectual difficulties. Disabilities, I should say. And uh, essentially what happens is she champions him and becomes his facilitated communicator. Uh, and uh, very not too long after that is saying we are madly in love and telling his mother and now he is a man in every sense of the word and leaving very strange messages on their on their answering machine and seeking contact with their son and it's all very very strange and also very uncomfortable mm. and yet also makes you or certainly made me really reflect on kind of disability but also the kind of white saviour narrative sure. and also 
the idea, like, yeah, even, you know, it even raises questions about, like, you know, we, we society has this uh, regard of, like, black men being the perpetrators of acts of violence against white women, but what if it's the white woman doing it to this black guy? Mm. And in addition to that, it raises these really interesting questions about, like, single black mothers in the US raising their children with extreme disabilities by themselves uh, at a time where they, they, you know, they were completely and utterly degraded in the press and in politics and so on. It packs so much into an hour and 40 minutes with a plump. Like, as in, it it really delivers across uh, the, 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 the runtime of it. It asks these questions, it offers interesting answers, and what's really fascinating is it positions everyone. I mean, you have Anna Stubblefield, this convicted sexual predator, talking into the camera saying, that's not true. He loves me. I love him. You know, it is really, really creepy. Yeah. But also she's just so believable. Like she is, like she, <laughs> she's really believable, but yet I don't believe her, if you get this, yes, right? Yes, yeah. So I thought it was like a really fascinating well-made documentary and probably my, my favourite of the three in as much as you can yeah. you can favourite yeah. something like that Okay it sounds yeah it sounds intriguing right so those three shows are Avatar The Last Airbender all of that you can stream uh, season one at least on Netflix uh, Constellation new episodes every Wednesday on Apple TV Plus and Tell Them You Love Me you can stream now on Sky Documentaries and Now TV Gems Dempsey thanks a million Thanks Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.